What's that? What am I supposed to do with, what is this, 20 ounces? <laughs> no, thank you. <laughs> Ladies and guys from TCU, cheers. Cheer, oh, I see you. You never know when you're going to need to have 40 ounces in your life, okay? You never know when you'll be that thirsty, you need to fill a hot tub. I don't know, like you're going to need this at some point. What's up, SMC? How are y'all? Yeah, lots of woos, for sure. I love SMC. I love the theme of SMC this year, anchored, anchored. I like the feeling of that. As soon as I heard the word anchored, kid you not, first thing comes to my mind, my wife. Because our friends will often tell me, hey, your wife, she is the anchor of your relationship. And then I tell them, that's insulting. That hurts. But I know what they mean. They're saying that she's the order, which she is. She is the order. I mean, she's the one who, I mean, she loves to make lists. She likes to plan things. I mean, when, I, when she gets her new planner, it, it is like a holiday in our house. I kid you not. Like, that thing comes in the mail, and she grabs it, and it is just like, Planner day, here we go, man, and she is so happy. She's like, I just need 12 hours, 12 hours to get everything into this new planner. So happy, and, and she thrives in that. She's just organized, not me. I'm not the order. I'm not the order. I'm the chaos, okay? Order, chaos. Type A, who's type A? Any type A's? Okay, who's with me? Chaos, type B. Go with the flow. Go with the flow. That's me, just energy, momentum. We'll be sitting on the couch, and I'm like, you know what, babe? I want to throw a freaking party. You know what I'm saying? I'm just like, uh-uh, uh-uh, you know, just hitting it. My wife's like, oh, my gosh, babe, I want to plan a freaking party. And it's just perfect. It's a perfect marriage. You can't have two anchors. That's boring. can't have two people like me. You'll be homeless in an hour. So that's just the kind of the, the way it works. We work well together. I bet, though, when you think of an anchor, you're not thinking of my wife or I will kill you, uh, but you're probably thinking of something like this, right? Generic anchor, there it is, right? Nothing that, any DGs in the room, y'all know anchors, right? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's good, it's good, they know this, okay? Anchors, listen, I don't know what you guys do for Christmas, but my wife, she's got a big family, big family, and I'm telling you, we were buying Christmas presents for everyone for a few years, hitting the budget, and I couldn't do that anymore. I'm trying to provide for my family. No one's taking the two meals my kids get a day away. That's all I'm saying, all right? Like, I got I to gotta go here. I gotta, we got to change this. We got to do the exchange. Anyone do the exchange in your family where it's just one-on-one? -on -one? It's a good shift to make. Well, one year, I get her brother, uh, and, and I just got to buy one gift for her brother. Lo and behold, guess what he wants? An anchor. He's a fisherman. Anybody from Wyoming, fishermen? Yeah? Yeah, they know how to fish. Teach SMU. It's fun. You guys got to try this thing. Like, it's a good time. He's a fisherman. He needs an anchor. That's easy, right? I jump on the Amazon, the website, not the river, and I start just searching for anchors. Anchor. Five million anchors just pop up. Five million. So many. I'm getting anxiety now. My wife comes into the room. 
She's like, what's wrong? I'm like, so many anchors. How do you even choose one? She's like, why don't you just go into the store? Why don't I just go into the store? Why don't you just go into the store? Go into the store. No, 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 no. I'm not going into the store. I know what happens when you go to the store. See, I've got a big imagination, okay? So I can play this out already. She's like, go to the store. I'm like, okay, here's how this is going to go, okay? I'm going to go jump in my car. I'm going to drive to the Cabela's. I'm going to walk in. Some guy named Ron's going to come up to me because there's a 25% chance his name's Ron for some reason. And he's going to say, hey, sir, how can I help you? What can I help you find? And I'm going to be sitting there like, hey, I, I, I need an, an anchor, Ron. He's going to be like, the question I don't want to hear what kind of anchor are you looking for? And Cabela's kind of has one of those better have your man card vibes, you know what I mean? <laughs> like kind of like the Home Depot. <laughs> you walk into the Home Depot, you got you to gotta have, like you're looking around the Home Depot employee comes up to you, hey, sir, you need my help? No, 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 I'm good. I'm good. I will walk 172 aisles. I will spend six hours here looking for a plunger before I give this guy my man card, it's staying in my pocket, all right? Like that kind of vibe. I'm at Cabela's. Ron's asking me what kind. I already drove here in a Toyota Camry, so I can't botch it on the anchor conversation, okay? So I'm like, Ron, I, do, I actually use a technique I use a lot of times. I've used this on my wife before when she asked me really tough questions, like, what color are my eyes? I'm like, Ugh. Oh, your eye, what you do is you repeat the question, and then you say, you know, at the end. It goes like this. Hey, what color are my eyes? Your eyes, you know. Oh, you're so right. They're blue, aren't they? Okay, good. <laughs> Get you out of a lot of tough binds. Ron asks, he's going to ask me, what kind of, Ron, what kind of anchor? You know, Ron, 100% of the time works 50% of the time. Ron, let's just say he takes me to the aisle. We get to the anchors. Now we're just going to be standing in the anchor aisle, babe, be looking at all kinds of anchors. I'm being the exact same problem I was on the Amazon. So I do something different. I reach out to one of my fishing buddies. I tell him, hey, here's all these anchors. What do I do? And you know what he tells me? This blows my mind. And this is how this all connects because you're like, what is this guy doing up here? He says, Britt, it doesn't matter what kind of anchor you get. There's all kinds, many types. What really matters with an anchor is what the anchor is anchored into. Because it doesn't matter if you're on a fishing boat and you throw out an anchor. If there is nothing for that anchor to anchor into, it's not grabbing. I'm going to talk to you this morning about your friends. And when we think about friends, we say this often, oh, this friend, they're my anchor. That friend, they're my anchor. Just like I did with my wife, she's my anchor. Well, what I'm here to tell you is that all your friends are anchors. Different types of anchors, temperaments, character qualities, things they want to play out in their lives and your lives. They're all anchors. I don't care what kind of anchors they are. The question I want to answer this morning is what are your friendships anchored into? What are your friendships anchored into? And if this is the first time you've ever thought about what are my friendships anchored into, there's a very good chance that all of your friendships are anchored into the same thing the world's friendships are anchored into. There's three of them. First one's this, conditions. Conditions. Conditions is like, I'll scratch your back, you scratch mine, I'll make a little list here, you follow these rules, I follow those rules. We've got these secret conditions, you break them, you're done. Stick to the conditions. Second one, circumstances. 
The world wants you to anchor it in circumstances. Why are you friends? Oh, we grew up together forever. We've been friends forever. We just grew up together. Oh, we go to the same school. We're in the same fraternity. We're on the same team. We were just kind of around each other long enough. We're friends. It's almost by accident. Circumstances. The third one, the world tells you to anchor your friendships into, self-centeredness. Self-centeredness. This is, hey, I'll, you scratch my back while I turn and then scratch and claw myself to the top. That'd feel really nice while I'm doing that. Self-centeredness. It's you have something that benefits me. That's why we're friends. You have some emotional benefit. When I'm sad, I can talk to you. It feels really nice. You always say the right things. You're there for me. Maybe it's a physical benefit. Maybe you're dating someone and there's some sexual benefit here. And it's like, hey, that's gratifying. Let's still be friends. Self-centeredness. The three things the world tells you to anchor your friendships into. And you can go that route if you want. Most people are. But what you need to understand is if you go the world's way of doing friendship, then you're going to suffer the world's consequences of how they do friendship. What are the consequences of the world? I'm not making this stuff up. There are secular statistics to back me up. You go back 50 years, the average person says they had three close friends. You come today, it's less than one. People feel alone. That's weird. Because you're a very connected generation. You pull out your iPhone and you connect. You can talk to someone in Japan in seconds. You got everybody at your fingertip, but simultaneously you are the loneliest generation of all time. How does that happen? You're lonely. You're depressed. You're anxious. And suicide is at an all-time high. Prescription drug medications for social disorders, multi-million dollar business. Because of what we're suffering from. There's been a, a rise in school shootings over the last decade. And me and my buddies, we were talking about this one time. And, and there's a phrase that often gets used that I've heard in other conversations like this too. And it's something like this. It's, I don't understand how someone could ever do something like that. Like that's, that's kind of what it gets to. How could anyone ever do something like that? Well, there were some behavioral psychologists that did some research. They studied a lot of the notes that were written uh, from these shooters, and they found uh, a, a theme, a theme. And the theme was this. All of these, most of these shooters, not all, but a large percentage of, of these shooters say that people don't deserve to live. How can they do something like that? Because they don't even think you should exist. That's how. How relationally broken do you have to become? What kind of world do you have to live in to get there? Now, most of you, not that extreme, right? What you're going to have, drama. Drama. Baby mama drama, too much for me to want to stay in one spot another day or not. I'm just kidding. JP already stole my thunder on the Eminem song. Dang it. But Drama. That's what you're going to get. Listen, God does not want you to have the world's kind of friendships. If you pay, oh, have you have a Bible and you begin to read it, you will find so many characteristics of good friends that God wants you to look for. It would take forever, take a long time. 
for us to go through every characteristic that you need to be looking for. But what I realize is that all of those characteristics, we're going to really simplify it uh, this morning. All those characteristics, they are actually anchored in just one thing. And that's what I want to talk to you about. They are anchored in one thing. All I want you to know is when you leave here, you need, you have to find this type of friend. You all need friends anchored in grace. You've got to have friends anchored in grace. Those are the type of friends you need. Now, how are we going to get to, someone ever does something like this, they're like, this is what you have to have. You shouldn't just be like, oh, I'm good, he said it, I'm going to do it, sounds good. No, don't do that. You should say, prove it. Prove it. That's what I'm going to do. I'm going to show you. I'm going to answer two questions. I want to prove it. But we've got to answer two questions. First one's this. What is a friend anchored in grace? We've got to figure that out. Which I think it's different than what you're probably thinking. Second one is, why would that friend be better than your current friendships? That one's a little like, hey, easy, easy. They're right here next to me. Calm down. We're going to talk about those two questions. It's going to be great. Let's start with the first one. What is a friend anchored in grace? Well, what's grace? What's grace? Like if I brought somebody up on stage right now and I said, hey, what's grace? Most of us were familiar with the word. We're like, oh, grace, grace. I know grace. Grace is so great. It's so, it's a... Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved the rest me. You know, it's like the song. It's like, it's grace. You know, you, you know, that's what would happen. Grace is used in the Bible over 130 times. We have to know what it is means. I'm going to give you two vital roles of grace that you have to understand and that your friends have to understand if you ever hope to find the types of friends I'm talking about. And these two vital roles will answer our two questions. So remember our first question, what is a friend anchored in grace? To find this friend, you got to understand one vital role of grace, and it's this, saving grace. Saving grace. Grace that saves you. Ephesians 2, 8, first nine words, for it is by grace you have been saved. How are you saved? By grace, saving grace. What do you need to be saved from? Well, the way JP said it is that you're desperate. The way this uh, worship leader said it is that you need to be dependent. The way Jesus said it. You need to be poor in spirit. You need to be poor in spirit. Now, what does that mean? Well, the Greeks had lots of words for poor. This word poor, on the lowest end. It was wretched. Like, if you think of a homeless person, if they have clothes on, it's poorer than that. It is naked, wretched, starving, bones sticking out of your flesh, tucked back into a corner, head away, can't even look up. You extend a hand like this, and if someone doesn't feed you right now, You die. But not only are you poor, you're also enslaved. So you're enslaved. You're you're a slave, wretched, poor, broken. And in that, Jesus says, when you're there, you'll understand grace. 
Because if you think you're a good person and you hear about the cross, you're still going to think the cross is pretty amazing. But when you realize who you truly are and then you see the cross, you understand the true experience. And then you'll understand what it means to be anchored in grace. You've got to understand it like that. Notice I'm saying you need friends that are saved by grace, anchored in grace. Notice what I'm not saying. You need Christian friends. Okay? I'm not saying you need Christian friends. There's a lot of Christian friends who Christianity doesn't go any further than their cross necklace. They're still enslaved to sin. They love sin. Oh, sin. <laughs> Sin's amazing. Sin, sin, sin. So much fun. How can you not sin? Yeah, I'm a Christian, but I love sin. And they're right. Sin is fun. One man said it this way. Sin always is fun in the beginning. But we know where it leads. You see, we have a very strategic enemy. He's not an idiot, right? Like, like if I want you all to go jump off a cliff, I'm not just going to, like, grab my Stanley and be like, ladies, let's do it. Woo! No one's jumping, except for maybe one girl who doesn't have a Stanley. She's like, I will get that Stanley. I don't know. No. You know what I'd do? I'd build the most legit theme park you've ever seen. I mean, everything. And at the pinnacle of this theme park would be the biggest coaster you've ever seen. And it would say Life of Sin on it, and a bunch of fraternity guys would be like, oh, yeah, Life of Sin, this is going to be sick. And we're going to get on it. And it's going to take off. And you're just going to be like, Sin! 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 Woo! And then that thing's just going to launch you off the cliff. And you're going to be flying through the air. And like, oh, crap. Destruction. That's how it works. Right? One behavioral psychologist said, you can try to twist the fabric of reality, but when you let go, it snaps right back into place. You know what that means? You know what reality is? God is reality. He's the one who created the real way to live. And anytime you live outside of the reality, you know what that's called? Sin. Sin literally means to miss the mark. It's an archery term. If you miss the mark, sin. You miss the perfect mark of God, sin. If you have friends who are still enslaved to their sin, even though they say, I'm a Christian, you've got a problem. Because sin has a boomerang effect. I don't know if you've ever thrown a boomerang, but you will. You understand what happens. Like, you throw it as hard as you can. I've done this with my kids. And you watch it go, and it's really fun. Oh, look at it go. But every boomerang circles back around, and then what happens? It comes right back at you, full force. And how sin works is when it comes back, it doesn't just take out the person who threw it. There's casualties everywhere. You heard of secondhand smoke? This is secondhand sin. You get taken out with it. You've got to have friends that aren't just Christian friends, but friends who are truly anchored in grace. Now, you keep those other friends, but you need these friends so that you can benefit the other friends. You've got to have a friend, friends, anchored in grace, in saving grace. Because here's what happens if you find a friend who's truly been saved by grace. 
They understand the grace of Jesus. It's like a key to a door. Like you walk up with this saving grace and you unlock this door. You open it. And on the other side is the other role of grace, which answers our second question. Why would these friendships be better than my current friendships? Because that door would swing open to transforming grace. Grace that transforms you. Look at 1 Corinthians 15, 10. It says this. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace to me was not without effect. But then it says, well, that's taking too long. But then it says, I worked harder than the rest of them, but not I. But God's grace in me, through me. See that? Grace doesn't just save you. That's just one role. It changes you. It transforms you. Transforms you into what? It transforms your friends into what? Wrong question. Into who? 1 Corinthians 11.1, be imitators of me as I imitate Christ. 2 Corinthians 3.18, we're being transformed into the image of the Lord. Into who? Into Jesus. We're transformed into the image of Jesus by grace. Who in here would not want a friend who's like Jesus? That's crazy. Of course we would, right? When I was in college, I had good friends. They were anchored in grace, but it was only for a few years. Like we had all just started following Jesus. So they were anchored in grace, but it's a process to be transformed. And so it was good. Now 15 years later, I have friends who have been transformed by grace for a decade or longer. And it is great. Because they just keep getting better and better and better. I want to finish up by sharing with you guys, because I started thinking about what are some of the characteristics of my friends that I have who are anchored in grace, and why is it so amazing? I came up with a, a bunch, but there's three big ones I want to share with you. Three characteristics, three ways your friends will be transformed if you find some that are anchored in grace and they've experienced saving grace. First one's this, they will be forgivers. They'll be forgivers. Jesus was with his disciples one day, and Peter pipes up. He says, Jesus, how often should we forgive? Seven times? I forgive you, 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 I forgive you. You're dead to me. Seems pretty good. Jesus says no. Seven times, 70 times. What he's trying to say there is every time, always. And that's probably kind of mind-blowing for the disciples so he's got to tell a little story to follow that up. And he tells this story. He goes, listen, the kingdom of heaven, it's like a master who went to settle accounts with his servants. One of the servants comes to him, and the servant owes him 10,000 talents. All you need to know, you can never pay it back. More money than anybody would ever be able to pay back. So the, the master says, all right, be gone with him. Send him into slavery with him and his family. Sell him. The guy just hits his knees. Please. Master. I'll try to pay you. I mean, he's just broken. He knows he can't pay him back, but he hits his knees, and the master does something amazing. He shows him grace. He forgives. You're forgiven. Go on. So then that same guy 
also because the servants in this day and age had servants too. So he goes to his servants, and he begins to collect his debts, and he finds a guy. He says, you owe me how much? A hundred denarii. Now that is a very payable amount. And this guy comes to him, does the same thing. Master, forgive me. No. Uh-uh. Slave, until you pay me back. Now some other servants saw all this go down. They go tell their master, there's a problem here. This guy experiences forgiveness. He can't give it. Just so you know, that's exactly how the world operates. We all want to be forgiven, but then what? Then I want to cancel. But what if it's you? Well, then I want forgiveness. But what if it's not canceled? We love to be forgiven. We hate to forgive. That was what was happening here. That's somebody who's not transformed by grace. You see, if you truly understood grace, what happened here, it would be different. I'm sitting in my office two years ago with a guy who says he's a Christian. So I follow up and I say, okay, uh, tell me about yourself. He starts talking. He's got a great family uh, dynamic outside of the relationship with his dad. He's like, yeah, you know, he starts talking about his dad. And just so you know, his dad is kind of just a, a crappy dude by the world standards. He just, just kind of is. And so it's fair. And I'm like, oh, okay, but he's a Christian, so I'm waiting for the redemption of this story. But he, there, there wasn't any. He says, my dad tries to reach out to me, but I just don't answer. He's trying to call me, but I'm, I'm good. So I pull open Matthew 18. We look at this story, right? We read all the way through it, and I'm looking at him like, eh? <laughs> me? Yeah? <laughs> you know, when you're kind of just like, are you going to get it or are you going to make me say it kind of thing? He's looking at it. He's like, I know what you're trying to say. I get it. But I'm not forgiving my dad. Huh. We talked about grace. I, I expanded more. And it clicked for him. He went from being a Christian to being anchored in grace. And began recon reconciling the relationship with his father. Now it took time. But he started moving towards that. And I know a lot, a lot of you guys are thinking, you're like, man, I... Are you telling me to forgive somebody for something that I'm, you don't know. You don't know what I, like, some of you guys have had some things happen to you that I can't even imagine. Like, somebody's done something to you that feels unforgivable, and I get that. Don't hear me now. I'm not saying go put yourself in a risky situation, a dangerous situation with someone that hurt you. I'm not telling you that. But if you're asking me, should you forgive them? I'm asking you to understand grace and what you've been forgiven of. And you do what you think in that situation. Friends anchored in grace are forgivers. Listen, one of the guys on the cross next to Jesus, who was probably a part of the ridicule at first, asks for forgiveness. He's a part of the reason Jesus is on the cross. They're right next to each other. You're going to see him in heaven because Jesus in that moment forgives him. Friends anchored in grace, they forgive in a way the world doesn't understand. They're forgivers. I love having friends that are forgivers. I also love having friends who are generous. Generous friends. There's a story of Jesus when he's entering the town of Jericho and there's a man there named Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus is a tax collector. 
Tax collectors, basically what you need to know about them is they collected taxes. They were Jewish, but they were kind of in the pocket of the Romans, and they were collect, collecting taxes from their own people. And then anything they didn't give to Rome, sometimes they would scrape some off the top. They did not build a lot of great relationships. And this guy, chief tax collector, probably a lonely dude. One day Jesus comes into his town. And, and, and Zacchaeus hears it, so he runs out ahead of Jesus. He climbs up a tree. He gets ready. Jesus is walking down. Jesus looks up, sees him, and says, Zacchaeus, come down. And Zacchaeus is standing face to face with the living God. Guilty, ashamed, lonely, broken, afraid. Jesus doesn't shame him. Jesus doesn't ridicule him. Jesus doesn't publicly embarrass him. Jesus transforms him through grace, through grace. And we know this because of Zacchaeus' response. He went from being this greedy taker to this generous person. He says, hey, half of what I own, straight to the poor. And then there's a bunch of angry people out there because he's ripped a lot of people off. He goes, all of you guys, paying you back four times as much as what I took. Sounds a little different than the rich young ruler, Right? Jesus says, follow me. He says, no, nah, I'm good. I'll take my stuff. Zacchaeus, transformed by grace, follow me. You can have everything. That's what people anchored in grace do. They're generous people. Worldly friendships, you know what they're filled with? Takers. Takers. They've got a good video, all right. It goes like this. Hey, hey, are you well known? Good. Because I am going to use that to grow my popularity. It's going to be amazing. Whoa, 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 whoa. Are you wealthy? Good. Because I want to go to your lake house. I want to ride around in your Mercedes. I want to be with your family on their vacation. Sounds amazing. Are you winning at life? Good. Because I need you to carry me along on your coattails or at least to be a stepping stone so that I can be successful too. They're not givers. They're takers. Friends anchored in grace. Givers. Generous. And I'm not even just talking about finances. I'm talking about they're people who just cheer for your well-being. You're more important to them than their very own selves. I have generous friends. One of them is right over here. He surprised me today. Showed up just to watch this. Inconvenienced his family. Another one sitting right next to him. Inconvenienced his. They all have young kids. They're here. Why? Why would they come watch me? They're not even on the stage. Generous. I love it. I love having generous friends because they cheer for your well-being. They want you to succeed. When I was in college, alcohol, drunkenness, destroying my life. What I mean by that is that's all I would think about. Tuesday night, Wednesday night, Thursday night, Friday night, Saturday night, Saturday night, drink, 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 drink. That's all I'd do. And when I would drink, I'd lose my self-control. That was another reason. So I'd drink and drink and drink and drink, and I'd say things that I don't normally say. I would do things with girls that I don't normally do. And then I would, I would wake up the next morning, gone. Forget it. I just forget it all. I kid you not, one time I drove home from a party. Okay, went to bed, woke up the next day, first thought I had when I woke up, where's my car? Where's my car? Oh, gosh. Wake up my roommate. Hey, man, we got to go find my car. 
I get my key, my key list. I get in his car. He drives me around the OU parking lot. It's a big parking lot, right? Lots of people go there. Very prestigious school. Sooner born, sooner bred. You know what I'm saying? Y'all know what I'm saying, right? But when I die, I'll be Red Raider Red. Am I right? Y'all know exactly what I'm talking about. I'm driving the parking lots, pushing the panic button. I do this for five days. Five days without my car. Do you know how hard it is when you have a job to explain to your boss, who just so happens to be your dad, that you can't come to work because you can't find your freaking car? Son, why aren't you at work today? <clears throat> well, Dad, see, I'm having problems with my car. Oh, oh, what's the problem? Well, the problem is that it's kind of, well, the problem's hard to find, Dad. Oh, I'm having a hard time seeing it. Not really clear. Is it the engine? I'm going to let you know whenever I get eyes on it, Dad. We'll be there for five days. I'm having to carry along this story. And that's funny, right? It's, but that's only funny because it's the tip of the iceberg of the chaos that alcohol was causing in my life. So when I came to faith, I decided I'm going to battle against this. I'm going to battle against drunkenness and alcohol. My fraternity brothers started to find out. What do they do? They mock me behind my back. When they're drinking, they mock me to my face. And then when they got tired of doing that, they just excluded me all together. Why? Takers. Takers. You see, our friendship was anchored in a condition. And the condition was, you do the thing we want to do socially, or we're not going to be able to be friends. Gone. Takers. Friends anchored in grace they're givers. Let me ask you this. Is there something in your life, is there something in your life, that it, like a, a, a dramatic thing, that if you changed it, if you tried to do something for the good, like if you leave SMC and you're like, I'm going to change something significant, is there something like that that would cause your friends to leave? Kind of nice. It's not like one of those really annoying ones, like man, man, man. It's kind of like a ooh. Try to harmonize with it. Ooh. We could build something here. We drop a beat to it. You know, I don't know. Could do all kinds of things with that sound. But I think we're just gonna have to press through it. Pete, can you quit whistling, please? Okay. Uh, yeah, this, this is it. This, they're takers. We need friends who are generous friends. Is there something that you would change where you could come back and your friends wouldn't just abandon you? Like, do you have friends that if you change something very significant, they'd be like, I'm out. I'm out. So, generous friends. Got to have generous friends. Last one is this. You need friends who are loving. You need friends who are loving, Okay. 1 John 4, 19, it says, we love because he first loved us, right? That's love. That's love. Now, we got to break this down because when we think of love, we can't think of the way the world, like we normally think about it, right? Our version of love, like the way we formulate it is contextual. Like we can use the same word and understand there's different meanings. When I say something like, hey, I love fishing or, and I love Torchy's tacos and I love my wife. Right? You know I mean different things there, I hope. 
Like, you're not like, oh, gosh, this is a close one. <laughs> like, man, it's his wife and Torchy's Tacos. It's his wife and two trailer parks extra trashy. If you throw, if you throw in some chips and queso, I don't know. She might have to find somewhere to go. I hope she's planning for that because that's going to be really serious. No, we understand love. We understand we have different meanings. Well, the Greeks, they had different words for love. One was ergos. That was like a sexual love. One was phileo, that was like a brotherly love, conditional love. This word that they use in 1 John 4.19, it's agape love. Simply put, I love you because I love you. That's what it means. In the secular world, they don't even have this word. They don't even know how to digest it really. It's mostly in the Bible because it's a love that comes from God. I love you because I love you. And here's the thing, you probably won't fully understand this love until you have kids. That's when I fully got it, right? I got kids, two kids, two, I got four kids, but my two oldest boys, they're right here. They're just like me and my wife. Uh, there they are. Uh, type A, tall one, type B, young one. Levi and Knox, right? Oh, it went away. So wonderful. Levi and Knox, okay? Type A, type B. I'm trying to get them to do normal tasks, okay? So when you have kids, like, you just got to get them to do normal tasks. And so I'm like, okay, Levi, Knox, clean the room. My type A oldest son, yes, sir, yes, sir, daddy, I will clean the room. He goes, he starts cleaning. My type B son, nothing, just staring at me, right, just sitting there looking at me like. <laughs> That's what they do these days. They're flossing. I'm like, go clean the room. He's like, I, I, he gives me his first line of defense. I don't know how to clean the room, dad. Oh. You don't. You don't know. You don't know how to clean the room. Oh, interesting. Here's what you're gonna do. You know how you took the toys out, then you put them on the carpet. Well, reverse, 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 reverse. Like, that's it. Just do it. Ah, I can't do that. And that usually doesn't work. He says, I don't want to. No, you're going to. That's not going to work. So then he goes to this medical condition he suffers from. It's SIB-P. That's the acronym. SIB-P. SIB-P. Spontaneous imaginary bodily paralysis. It's very serious. Okay. Okay, what happens is, is anytime I ask him to do something he doesn't want to do, he just, just lays there. <laughs> I'm like, what are you doing? Get up, I can't, my body doesn't work. Now you got to type B, son, you know better. Like, you can discipline him all you want. You can give him a little, oh, you know, I don't want to get controversial, but you can give him a little discipline. But it's not going to work, he's type B. But there is something that does work for type B people, and if you're type B, you know I grab his limp body, I carry him back to his room, set him on his bed, and I say, you're going to miss out on family game night. FOMO is a great one for type B people. He went from, I mean, it healed the bodily paralysis instantly. Just, I'm alive, Dad. He's mad, okay? He's mad. He's yelling things he doesn't even understand, putting words together he doesn't even get. He's just mad. Eventually, he strings something together. He goes, you don't like me, Dad. You don't even love me. I look him right in the eyes. I say, son, why do I love you? He looks at me, grits his teeth. He knows the answer because we talk about this. He won't say, say it, why do I love you? You're like, that's not a very loving tone. 
because you love me, because I love you. I look at him and I grab him close and I say, Knox, buddy, I love you because I love you. It has nothing to do with conditions. You started ruining our life in the first trimester. Just so you know, my wife's spontaneously throwing up everywhere, eating ginger snaps and pickles. He's not even out yet. That's not why I love you. I love you because I love you. And that boy with these beautiful blue eyes looks right back up at me. He says, Dad, I hate you! I just start laughing. <laughs> I got to run out of the room. Like, this stuff's funny to me. I tell my wife, and she's in tears. She's like, he said he hates you. I'm like, he told me that the other day when, he, when I hit him with a Wii controller. Like, he's going to say that all the time. I don't love him because of conditions. Like, I told you, that's not a good reason to love. When you have kids, you love them because you love them. They do everything. In fact, being a parent, all it is is training your kids to be good so that other people don't hate them. You have to deal with the hard, you got to deal with the hard stuff. One percent of it is them doing something that you're like, oh, they appreciate me. Then it's followed by, you know, it's over. That quick. I love them because I love them. When I was a freshman in college, I went to this program. Uh, eight weeks long. It's called Kaleo. And I'll never forget the first Bible study. Because you've been in a Bible study, right? Like, you know how it's supposed to go. It should be simple, right? Bible study leaders should get up there. I think there's a set of like five questions that every Bible study for all time has started Bible studies with that you're supposed to start a Bible study with. Easy questions. What's your name? Where are you from? Warm up the crowd, right? Not this guy. He went straight for the jugular. Came at us, right? We're all sitting here at this Kaleo. There's four of us, the leader and three others. And he looks at us and he goes, hey, guys, does anybody here struggle with porn or masturbation? <gasps> Don't say a word. Shut up. Don't say it. I've been here before. If we're just quiet, this guy's going to move on. He'll circle back to about something with Jesus loving you. We're going to be fine. Hold. And then this idiot over here. Gosh. Like he got hit over the head with a Stanley mug. He, he just stands up. He starts to tell the guy all these struggles. And I'm like, no, 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 no. That's okay. We got one casualty, but me and you, me and you. Lock it in, dude. Stay tough. We're good. Bonehead. Walks out there, does the same thing. So here I am. I've got a decision to make. I've been hiding this from people my whole life because I know what you're supposed to do. You put on the mask. You put on the mask. You got to put on not, 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 that, not the LED one that's like, like the one that protects you. From being exposed for who you really are, I had the mask on, and I went, oh, gosh. <sighs> when I take off the mask, bad things happen, but they just did it, so here we go. I'm going to try it, and I remove the mask. I say, I've been struggling with this since I was nine years old. 
never talked about it with anyone. I'm broken. There's no reason I should feel like I should even be at this program. I don't think I fit in. But you know what's amazing? It's amazing to have a leader at Kaleo who's anchored in grace. He didn't condemn me. He didn't mock me. He didn't shame me. You know what he did? He hugged me. I'm weeping. And then he told me his story. And he told me about grace, how it saved him. He told me about grace, how it transformed him. And that whole summer, I brought more and more to him things I thought would really just get him to run away. And he kept loving me. Why? Because he loved me. Why? Because he loved me. You find some friends anchored in grace by saving grace. They will be transformed by grace. You will have friendships filled with people who forgive you seven times, seven times, 70 times. You will have generous friends who cheer for your well-being. Get this above their own. But most importantly, you will have friends who love you because they love you. People with those three characteristics and many others, they've got two things in common, just so you know. Number one, you already know it, they're anchored in grace. Number two, they are really hard to find. Proverbs 26 says, many claim to have unfailing love, but a faithful friend who can find. They are hard to find. I promise you, if you leave here and you try to find Christian friends, you'll find them. But if you want to find some people anchored in grace, good luck. They are so rare. But this morning, you're in a rare situation. Because I'm going to do something for you. I don't know most of you, and I'm going to do something amazing for you right now. Sure, normally they're hard to find, but right now you are in a rare scenario, and I can find them. Listen, if you're going to be a leader at Kaleo, a D group leader, a KLP, a Kaleo second year, whatever you want to call it, if you're a leader at Kaleo going back, would you please stand up? Let me stay standing. Let me clarify something. These aren't perfect people, right? But these are people anchored in grace. These are going to be some of the most forgiving, some of the most generous, some of the most loving people you know, and you need to be friends with them. But you're thinking, friends with them? I get back to campus, man. It's busy. I got class, I got my, my fraternity and sorority stuff, I got all these intramural championships, I got to win. Like, how am I going to be friends with them? I need time. How about eight weeks? How about eight weeks? People say, Kaleo is the summer of your life. Kaleo isn't the summer of your life. Kaleo changes your life. Kaleo doesn't change your life. 
people like this, anchored in the grace of Jesus Christ, becoming your friends, changes your life. Some of you are imagining what it would be like to go to Kaleo to have these types of friendships. Here's what I'll say to you. Quit imagining it and today apply and do it. It's changed everything for me. It will change everything for you and your friendships. Let me pray for us. Y'all can sit. God, thank you so much for this room. Thank you for all these people. Thank you for the leaders that you have saved by your grace, who you are transforming by your grace. The friends that are here that could be had by the people who are making a decision today about how they spend their semester, how they spend their summer. Would you bring everyone in here, friends who are anchored in grace so they can experience the life, the joy, the fulfillment that comes from having friends that you want us to have. Pray that in Jesus' name, amen.